0: I'm Jeff Hunt, CEO of Goalspan, and your host of Human Capital, where we uncover the deeply human aspect of work. The way we work has dramatically and permanently shifted over the last few years, and these changes require a new kind of leadership. The best leaders learn how to walk alongside employees with whatever they are going through, celebrating joys and successes, or in the midst of grief, anxiety, or uncertainty. According to McKenzie, the employee's relationship with their manager is the number one factor in their job satisfaction. Today, I have a special guest joining me on the show to explore his new book, Compassionate Leadership. Rasmus Hogard is the founder and CEO of Potential Project, which is a global research and consulting firm with over 250 consultants across 28 countries. They are on a mission to create a more human world of work and to help unlock the potential for new behaviors and different outcomes. Today, Rasmus and I are going to talk about how to develop leaders that are both higher performing and more human. (laughs) Welcome Rasmus.
1: Thanks so much, Jeff. Pleasure
0: to be here. It's great to have you on the show and I'm very passionate about this topic. So I think we're going to have a great conversation. Let's start with a thumbnail of your career journey so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Take us back to the beginning of your career and share who or what inspired you most along the way.
1: Mm. I would say my career started before like the normal career when I was about 17. I uh, I traveled to Asia and I ended up living in Nepal for a while and northern India and I met some, uh, some Buddhist masters including Dalai Lama, which was uh, a great inspiration for me on how to live... Uh, ethical, compassionate, and uh, I would say wise life. And uh, and they taught me a lot of practices that really helped me to hone my own focus, my own presence, and and and, and deepen my sense of connection with others and, and enhance my, let's say, yeah, compassion and care. That's really what has been laying the foundation for me. Then I became a researcher. That was great, but too academic. I joined the corporate world. That was fun, but just like too meaningless. And that's when I started to contemplate the idea of Potential Project, basically bringing together some of these wisdom traditions, all those amazing methods and wisdom in there with research and the, the you know, the the real fast-paced corporate world. That's, that's, that's how Potential Project came about and what has shaped my life.
0: hmm And was there any one person or, or certain people that really inspired you earlier in your career?
1: Yeah, I guess there's always a lot, but uh, definitely number one would again be Dalai Lama. Uh, He once said to me uh, something along the lines of, there is just one you, but there are billions of other human beings and like trillions of sentient beings. So stop worrying so much about yourself and rather ask yourself, what can you do for others? And that was really like a trigger point for me in getting out of my own head and just looking at what is how can I have the biggest positive impact for the biggest number of people in this short lifetime that I'm on this earth? That was really a pivotal moment. Um, So I would say definitely Dalai Lama.
0: I'm excited to jump into your book. And as I reflect on our discussion, leaders are under so much pressure today. One of the things I'd like you to just talk a little bit about is how, as a leader, can you care for your people but also still do the very difficult things that leadership requires?
1: Yeah, that's a million dollar question. And when we started contemplating doing another book, we basically interviewed some, I think around 75 executives and we asked them, what's the most challenging for you? And all of them in different words said something along the lines of, I can make billion dollar decisions and I will sleep totally fine at night. But I have to give feedback, lay someone off, do a restructure, basically do hard things, and you know I can't sleep for three nights. So that is at the crux of the, tri- the trickiness of being a leader is having to do these hard things. And then many leaders think, because of old school management thinking, that either you choose to be a nice person that people like, or you become a really hard-nosed guy who drives results. And what we started to see in our research is that that's an absolutely false dichotomy. We can bring these together, and not we can, we should, because what our research showed that if you bring up care for your people while also having the wisdom to drive for strong results, the engagement of your people, the results of your people, the loyalty of your people, the stress levels of your people will be way, 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 way better. So it is imperative for leaders to learn to bring these things together and. What we then did in our research was basically finding out how to do that, and the 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 ultimate model there is what we call the compassion uh, wise compassion flywheel, which is basically the four practices of caring presence, caring can uh, sorry caring courage, caring candor, and caring transparency. And I can like unfold that more, or people can read the book, but that's ultimately what it takes.
0: I would like to get into those four, and before I do, I'm just sort of reflecting on what you're saying. So basically, you're saying that in old school, it it felt like more of a binary choice. It was either making the tough decision or being human, but they're not mutually exclusive. In reality and in truth, they are actually aligned. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Doing hard things, if you do that in the right way, is to be compassionate, For the simple reason that there's not a single person in the workforce anywhere in the world that doesn't want to grow, develop, get promoted, have a great career. But the way to a great career is not to be told all the time, oh, you're great, you're doing awesome. It is by being told, hey, that can be different. Here you said this, try and tweak it this way. It is through the resistance that we get greater. And therefore, as a leader, being able to do the hard things is a compassionate thing to do. You just need to do it with the caring aspects.
0: So let's talk about compassion a little bit more. I think people tend to get confused about the difference between compassion and empathy. Mm. Can you share your thoughts? Because you've done a lot of research in this area. And what is the difference?
1: Yeah, there's there's a ton of difference. And it's right, we always think of them as the same thing. Empathy is, in short, when you see someone who suffers and you sit down with them and you suffer with them. And this is why it may sound dumb when I present it like that. It's actually a really amazingly beautiful thing. It is, uh, you know, the hallmark of human existence, the fact that we can see in the facial expression of someone else that that person's in pain. And then because of mirror neurons, we feel the same. Like, that's incredible. And empathy is what has made us grow into families, tribes, communities, societies, countries, and companies, because we empathize with other people. It's amazing, but empathy is literally suffering with others that suffer. And in leadership, while it is a good thing to have empathy because it allows you to connect with others, they know that you know how they feel. It won't help you to help them. So there we need to move into compassion. Compassion is an intention, not an emotion. It is an intention. I'm here to help you. So compassion leadership is when you see someone who suffers, you experience what they feel for a moment, and then you choose to not get hijacked by that emotion, but rather ask yourself, what can I do to help? And then you go into action mode. And action mode could be like solving the problem, but that's a bad leadership. Rather, you should ask questions and coach them or simply just lend an ear so that they can find their way out of the problem. That's what compassion is. So basically, empathy plus action equals compassion.
0: So compassion really helps them move through whatever they are dealing with versus empathy. They could be staying in that space. Um, That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah it can be very difficult to be a compassionate leader. Say a little bit more about how we can exercise these muscles, how we can create a greater sense of self-leadership and presence Mm. at work Mm. as a leader to Mm. become more compassionate.
1: Good one. Let's just take a step back and just unfold. Why is it that it is hard to be compassionate when we get busy? And I'll just use an analogy because it helps a lot of people to remind themselves of this. The Chinese syllable for busyness consists of two syllables, one being killing and the other one being the heart. So, and you know, Chinese is a very wise language. It's really based on psychology and wisdom and so on. So the, the the insight here is basically when we get really busy, we kill the connection with our heart and become very head-centered, very rational, and we don't think about others' emotions and needs and so on. So how do we as leaders that are busy train ourselves to to be more caring and compassionate the the first thing is to acknowledge that leadership is a skill like it's something that we need to train and develop and most of us are promoted into leadership roles because we're good at doing the job and we need to really realize that doing the same thing as we used to is not going to make us good leaders making us good leaders is about listening to other people understanding their needs their motivations their drivers so that we can help them to be passionate about the work that they're doing. So leadership and compassion is all about changing your mindset from being a performer and executor to being someone who helps people perform and execute and doing that through care and compassion. So it's a mindset shift.
0: One of the things I took away from what you just said is the critical aspect of listening. And listening skills, and I imagine that learning to listen to understand instead of listen to respond mm. is probably at the core of that, wouldn't you say?
1: Very much listening, seventy-five percent of the time, and giving some input twenty-five. That I think that's a that's a pretty good ratio.
0: With compassion, if you think about compassion and empathy, and in, in the last couple of years of this collective trauma that we've experienced with the pandemic, yeah. it's created this environment where a lot of people are feeling burned out and they're switching roles. Yeah. Rasmus, can you just comment for a minute about the correlation between burnout relative to empathy Mm -hmm. and compassion?
1: Yeah. It's a, and that's a very strong correlation. It's a great question. In this collective trauma, as you called it, you know, people were suffering like crazy East and West. And as leaders, if we show up with empathy and meet a lot of our employees that are suffering because we sit down and we suffer with them we take on a load of you know suffering and that can lead to our own burnout and we have seen that and the fact that 87% of leaders in the US specifically have been considering changing job over the pandemic is because of this you know it's just getting too heavy whereas if as leaders we learn to avoid the empathetic hijack and rather move into compassion what research has shown and what we see through all the client work we do is it leads to a strong sense of empowerment. Hey, I see people suffering and man, I can do things to alleviate that. Wow. That is amazing. Leads to a sense of joy, much stronger engagement from the people you're leading and a sense of much more connectedness with, with everybody. So there's just a whole load of positive emotions and outputs coming from that.
0: Hmm. It seems like the ultimate evolution of the compassionate leader is the compassionate culture. Mm. And I would just clarify that when we are compassionate, we can still have very high performance and we can expect high performance from those that are around yeah. us. Yeah. There's a great story about a culture that is compassionate based from Marriott Corporation. I know you know a lot about that and I'm wondering if you yeah. can share a little bit about what Your learnings were what we can all learn from Marriott.
1: Yeah. Wow. Where to start? I just want to say Marriott is one example. There are lots of great examples, like I would say Unilever, Ikea, Patagonia, many, many organizations that really do this. But Marriott, I would say, particularly doing an amazing job. Historically, you know, Marriott being founded by a wonderful young couple who had a strategy from the beginning. In their first first little shop, which was, if we take care of our people, they'll take care of our guests and business will take care of itself. I just always loved that whole slogan or strategy, as they called it. As a family business, they really took care of people. And that kind of leadership led to a culture throughout the globe with, uh, I mean, half million or more employees nowadays of a leadership culture of really strong sense of care. And then you may think, oh, that's a nice story. But you know, I've met, I've met the the most of the executive team, and spent quite some time with Arne Sorensen, who unfortunately passed uh, last year. Uh, who was, by the way, voted CEO of the year uh, in in 2019. You know, just an extraordinary human being. That, yeah, very strong business driver, performer, strategic thinker. But man, a level of care for his people, yeah. Hmm. It, it's wonderful to see these icons of compassion leadership, and I mean Marriott is doing well. It's one of the biggest companies of the world. There's no doubt this is a good business strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it makes me think that how important the founders' values are in terms of ultimately defining the culture of an organization, yeah. right?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, 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 so true. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll give another example that has really touched me over the years. Is that Uh, Southwest Airlines with the founder Herb Keller who put compassion back in the you know back in the 60s as like one of the core values of the company back then you didn't talk about compassion business but you know Herb he he was not the standard standard CEO and that is living to the day today as part of the research for the book we interviewed or I interviewed uh, the 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 current uh, current CEO who basically said, uh, as as an airline going through a pandemic with nobody flying, you need to have deep pockets and and, and helpful bank uh, connections, because he had simply made the decision, we're not going to lay people off. People have been with the airline for decades and giving their lifeblood to this airline. We are not going to just lay them off because we're seeing a, a, a bad time these days. So just that incredible, compassionate commitment to the people that have offered their life to to the organization. And, you know, the astounding level of loyalty and engagement they have in that organization is just profound. It pays back. It's a very virtuous circle.
0: And it's really remarkable thinking about it because the investment in those people during that hardship ultimately does pay huge financial dividends in the long run because people stay, yeah. turnovers yeah. lower, the culture's better, they will perform higher. Uh, isn't that the truth? Yeah, it's
1: it's that simple. And then again, we should not get naive about it and say, oh, it's all about caring for people. It has to be wise, compassion, mean care, but with a strong sense of business drive, business acumen, doing the right things and doing the hard things when they are required. It has to go hand in hand. For sure.
0: Let's shift and talk about the research you've done on the specific leadership differences between men and women, males and females, right. as well as their deficiencies. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, we, could, we should preface this by mentioning that the data that you collected for those that are identifying as non-binary was too small of a sample size to mm-hmm. include in the analysis, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. But share a little bit about what you learned, Rasmus, and the mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. between men and women.
1: And, and maybe we should broaden and say uh, between generally considered female versus masculine leadership qualities, because that is another way of talking about it, which includes the non-binary. Helpful. So there's a number of data points here that were just very, very strong and very, very empowering for a certain gender, women. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was so happy when I saw the data. Not much data has been collected on on, on leaders and gender and 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 the impact they have. But basically, data showed very consistently that females are better leaders. There are four constellations in leaders. There's a female leading a female. There's a female leading a male. There's a male leading a female and a male leading a male. The best constellation is a female leading a female. The second best is a female leading a male. The third is a male leading a female. And the worst is a male leading a male. And I mean, you can do the math and see what is the magic sauce there. When a female is is involved better results basically. So that's one thing that was interesting. Another thing that was equally or possibly even more interesting is that females rate themselves as not very compassionate and not very wise. So basically not the best leaders, whereas males rate themselves as really good leaders, good at the caring and good at the the wisdom and the clarity. When they're rated by their followers, it is the exact opposite. <laughs> but both genders have a delusion in terms of how they lead. Females from a from a positive perspective, and males from a from a negative perspective, basically. So, for all the the females out there listening to this today, the whole conversations that are around diversity and inclusion and all of that, and and especially gender, you know, it's 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 good for the bottom line and so on. But it's more it's good for people. And remember. <laughs> ladies and and those that identify most as feminine you
0: are better leaders and trust yourself
1: in that periods
0: and so just as an add-on to that there may be some male identifying leaders that feel threatened associated with this but i want you to set them at ease because these skills that you mentioned earlier which i believe are focused around presence courage candor transparency are actually malleable they're skills that can be developed And if we do them exceptionally well, it doesn't really matter what gender you are. You can excel at the best. So say a little bit about that, Rasmus.
1: Yeah, we can all learn. We can all become better. And there were two practices that in the research was very, very clear that will help both genders to even become better. The first one is mindfulness practice. Mindfulness practice helps our self-awareness, thereby helps to see the impact we have on others and thereby to modify our behavior to basically be better at leading. Mindfulness particularly is very healthy for females who has that perception that they are not as good leaders as, as they actually are. The other practice is the practice of compassion, which can be practiced in many different ways that is described in the book, which is a particularly important for males or more masculinely oriented leaders. And it is all about perspective taking taking the perspective of other people that you are with that helps you to develop your care your concern for other beings seeing their perspective and thereby being a better leader for them so mindfulness and compassion are the two like unlocks for both genders but mindfulness mostly for for the uh, femininely oriented and, and and compassion for the masculinity oriented
0: that's great And so before we move off this topic of gender and and men and women and the differences, I want to share just a few statistics that I heard yesterday from WSJ through a Wharton study. There's actually a lot of improvement that's happening for women leaders. It takes less time for women uh, than men to reach leadership positions, Mm -hmm. two to four years less than men for Mm -hmm. the top 10 leadership positions. The overall number of female leaders is actually increasing pretty dramatically from 11% 20 years ago to 27% today, Mm. but that in the C-suite, it's still very much lacking. So there's only 6% of either chief operating officer, president or CEO positions are held by women. Mm. And the reality is that as leaders, we don't have to wait to pick women leaders. And there are some things that are creating some sea change, things like shareholder pressure, uh, the opportunity to require demographics when RFPs are submitted and things like that. But what I'd, what I'd like you to, to to wrap up this part of our conversation with Rasmus is what are some strategies that you recommend to better attract and retain and promote more women into positions of leadership?
1: Mm, yeah. I think that the, the first question is actually not... How you attract and retain them but how you make sure you promote them mm-hmm. uh, because that's that's you know where the glass ceiling is is in the way and as we can see the c-suite you know it's polling numbers in terms of female ceos on the fortune 500 list i mean what are we up to now very very few a handful at best so there is that awareness that has to sit at the boards on it's also, also about the promoting but there's a lot of this which is around empowerment and giving the space because, as we know, females are great leaders. Giving them the space to unfold that is really, really important. But one one strategy from one of our clients that was really impressive, very, very bold and provocative at, at, at the beginning, but has proven to be incredibly effective, was that Accenture, You know, one of the biggest companies of the world. And what is it now, five years ago, Ellen Shook, the chief HR officer, extremely visionary. She said, by 2023, I think it was, uh, we will have to be at a 50-50 throughout your entire organization. And everybody were like, wow, non-achievable, not possible. What are we going to do with all the males? We're going to fire them, blah, blah, blah. They were some 430,000 people back then. They're today at 750,000 people. I mean, they have grown with these amounts, it's incredible. And in that, achieve the 50-50. I mean, they did it and now their CEO, you know, Julie Sweet, is a, is a woman even. So that's just an example of setting a goal and saying this is a non-negotiable. It has to go through all business units, all geographies. You just do it. It does require a very strong CHRO, which Ellen clearly is. And she's had the backing of the former CEO and the current CEO. But it's possible, but it requires that you actually do it.
0: Well, and you're making the case of the importance of measuring it as well. If we measure it, then we can actually achieve the results. If we're not measuring it, it's Im- it's ambiguous, and then we don't know where we're at. Yeah,
1: yes, absolutely. And the biases, you know, the unconscious biases, which are unconscious, and therefore it's nobody's fault, you know, we are still seeing males as stronger leaders. I mean, we're just perceiving that, and it's 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 silly. And that's yeah. why I'm so happy to see the results, and I'm really propagating
0: the knowledge that females are amazing leaders. Yes, exactly. So I, one of the things you mentioned was the importance of presence and mindfulness at work and in life. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions around what this means and how it shows up. Mm. And there are several disciplines which you can share. One of them is meditation, which can help us mm. improve our mindfulness and presence. Yeah. First of all, I'd like to ask you, Rasmus, what are some common fears and misconceptions about this concept of mindfulness and meditation for that matter?
1: Mm, Yeah, the general misconception is that it's some soft woo-woo stuff that's going to make me slow and emotional (laughs) (laughs) along those lines. Uh, Fortunately, it's not as bad as it was like 10 years ago, but but it would be along those lines, which is obviously very wrong because it's actually a pretty hard discipline to practice mindfulness, training our self-awareness, our presence, our focus takes effort, takes work.
0: It's hard. Okay. And it's interesting because it is really in all of the major spiritual traditions for thousands of years, correct?
2: Yeah,
1: it is. There's not a single spiritual or religious tradition or school that hasn't practiced mindfulness in one shape or the other. Maybe there's a few, but very, very little. It goes, it goes in our veins and our DNA thousands of years, and we just have forgotten a bit about it.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take a risk and ask you to take us through a very brief mindfulness or meditation exercise, maybe just a couple of yeah. minutes to help people understand how this can deepen their presence. Would you mind doing that for our listeners?
1: (laughs) I would be happy to. uh, Thank you for the invitation. So let's take a a few minutes, and I will invite you to close your eyes and just start by bringing a bit of awareness to the experience of being in your body right now. Just simply notice the tactical
2: sensations of your body as you experience it in this moment and allowing your awareness to come present in this moment
1: And then inviting a sense of awareness of the breath, breath is always here and it connects your body and your mind and you cannot think of other things if you are present with the breath. So just bring a bit of attention to the inflow and the outflow of your breathing.
2: As you're breathing in, follow the in-breath and as you're breathing out, following the out-breath. Allow yourself to let go of everything you come from
1: and anticipations of what will come next and just fully being present here and now with your breath and with your body.
2: And with that, you can let go of the
1: practice, open the eyes and come back to this podcast.
0: Hmm. Thank you for that. Uh, that was, that was a gift. It was a small gift. In the midst of a busy day and the opportunity to stop and reflect and step out of the busyness is inspiring. Hmm. I think what I'm reflecting on personally, and this is one of my regular practices as well, and I've benefited so much, but what I'm reflecting on most is how helpful it is to not be thinking about the past or what's happened in the past or what's coming in the future or what I would, what my agenda is, what I'd like, what I have to do. Yeah. Uh, And even though those things may enter in, I can sort of let them float away and just be in the present moment. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. So true. And life becomes richer. We become more focused, more efficient. We can get stuff done so we can enjoy our meals,
0: enjoy the good sides of life as well. Exactly. I. It's interesting because I think of presence in conversation is also the best gift that you can give somebody. If you are mm-hmm. truly present and focused on what they are saying, and you're not yeah. looking at your phone or looking around the room or looking for another conversation or thinking about what you need to do next, yeah, that is truly a gift to give somebody, isn't it? It
1: is. It absolutely. It it very much is. We. Actually, we spend so much time at this with our clients in the early days that we decided writing a book about it. So one second ahead, enhancing your performance with mindfulness, because mindfulness, you know, it's about, it's a discipline of enhancing your performance of enjoying life, your performance of being present with others, doing the work you need to do, you know, it's an inner skill that is incredibly powerful. It's not soft and woo-woo, it's, it's, it's a discipline.
0: Yes. Uh, okay, great. So are you ready for the lightning round? <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> I'm curious. All right. So, my first question for you, Rasmus, is what are you most grateful for?
1: I am most grateful for my parents that has brought me to this life, which I find is a hard and challenging experience, but also incredibly beautiful.
0: What's the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career?
1: The most difficult was once I made the mistake of sending an email that was angry, copying in people in the team. And the outpour of resentment from everyone in the team just was so humbling for me. And I will never, ever do that again. If you have a problem with a person, you take it just with that person and you do it always with care. And I didn't do it just with the person and I didn't do it just with care. And man, I had my ass kicked rightfully so. Thank you all of my colleagues out there that remember this, especially Paula. Thank you. Your email was very (laughs) healthy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's so much learning in our mistakes, isn't there? Oh my God, yeah. So much to learn. Who is one person you would interview if you could, living or not?
1: Mahatma Gandhi is the first that comes to mind. But if I can go even further back, you know, Jesus, that would be a treat. And Buddha, that would also be pretty sweet.
0: By the way, regarding your book, we're going to put your book on my recommended books list on our podcast website. But I'm curious for you, Rasmus, what is a top book recommendation? What books have you been reading and what do you recommend?
1: This is going to sound provocative from a guy who has been propagating and supporting people to be high performing. There's a book I read over the summer that was deeply inspiring. It's called Do Nothing by Celeste Oh, I can't remember her last name, but go on Amazon. It's called Do Nothing by Celeste Something. It's an extraordinary book about how we are overworking, doing too much. It's counterproductive. It doesn't give us what we're looking for. Yeah, Do Nothing, great book.
0: And what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? That was from the former
1: CEO of uh, of Marriott's, Arne Sorensen, who told that how the founder of Marriott's, uh, he had these three words that was like his leadership mantra. What do you think? That's four words. What do you think? The whole point. Do we have time for a short story? Here? Yes, yes. Okay. So this young Bill Marriott was uh, was invited to meet with the president of the United States at the, the farm of the president uh, many, many years ago. And it was pouring rain. And there were a group of business people together there. And and Bill Marriott was still a, a young guy. And all these strong, big businessmen, they were like doubting, should they go out doing hunting, which was the plan, despite the fact that it was pouring rain. And the president turns to Bill Marriott and asks, what do you think? And, you know, this young guy just finds it extraordinary that the president asked for his opinion. And he just made that his mantra. So in all meetings throughout his life, board meetings, whatever, he would sit he would ask a question, like something he'd been reflecting on, a big strategic issue, whatever. And he would then ask, what do you think? And he would let the whole you know, table like share their opinions, their thoughts, not saying anything himself because he didn't want to be biased by his own thoughts. And he would basically just synthesize the best of all the thinking of all these smart people that he had brought into the organization. And then he would come up with like a synthesis of that and then present that as a way forward. And I just think this very inclusive way of leading is not just inclusive, but it is definitely smart because it makes you as the leader seem like the smartest person in the room, (laughs) because you don't say your
0: dumb opinions first, but you just learn from all the best. So what do you think? What's the single most important takeaway from our time together, Rasmus?
1: Mm. (laughs) I'm going to put that back to you. Your presence in this conversation has made it so easy for me to be present and just sharing what what comes up. So to me, it's a testament to the fact that presence really brings out the best in the people you're with. So thank you for that, really appreciate
0: it. Thank you, Rasmus, for bringing so much wisdom to our listeners today. Pleasure, thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by GoalSpan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.